Hi there. Thanks for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and I'm a yoga teacher and educator. And my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching, help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years and through my classes, my workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics. Some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation. And other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of a yoga teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, please visit my website, at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. This is episode five. We are just moving right along here with the episodes. And today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite teaching topics, anatomy. Anatomy is definitely my specialty, my passion, one of the reasons I love teaching yoga so much. It gives me a chance to teach people about their bodies in an understandable way so they're empowered with accurate information and can take care of themselves both on and off the mat. And you know, I started this podcast with episodes on ways of being. Maybe you listened to some of those earlier episodes. And we talked a little bit about some of the thoughts that can get in the way of you being your most authentic self. You know, just those moments when you're just feeling so connected to the class, just comfortable in your body. And I also had an episode on the business of being a yoga teacher filled with lots of business tips. And today I'm going to be diving into, as I said, my main focus which is helping teachers understand anatomy in ways that they can then share it with their students. So what are we going to cover? Today's episode I called Learn Five Fundamental Anatomy Concepts to Help You Build Your Confidence in Sharing Anatomy with Your Students. Now you may be wondering, what do anatomy and confidence have to do with each other? right? One's about the physical body, one's kind of a mental state. Hmm, I wonder. So before we get into the details, I want you to do an exercise with me. If you're listening and driving or you can't close your eyes for whatever reason, obviously don't, (laughs) although the exercise will still work. If you can close your eyes, even better, do that. Sit in a comfortable position as if for maybe meditation and have your feet planted firmly on the floor. I want you to set your feet to some distance apart, about hip width distance, and take a moment to really press down through your feet so you feel your connection with the ground. 
if you're sitting or driving, obviously you can't close your eyes. Uh, maybe if you can, if you're if you're just sitting, but obviously if you're driving, don't do that. Um, but at least if you're driving, just take a moment as you're driving and just feel your contact with the surface you're sitting on. Now, this exercise is geared to teachers, although I'll give you another scenario so that if you're not a teacher, it'll work for you too. So here's kind of the backdrop. Imagine you're teaching and you want to share information on anatomy. You've been in classes where teachers refer to parts of the body in poses, and you're dying to share that kind of information with your students. It seems like it'd be so helpful, and it's certainly applicable to what they're doing. But it's a mystery to you how the body is made up, all those bones, muscles, and joints, and then understanding how they all work in yoga. It's just so confusing, and there's so much to learn. You get that sinking feeling like you'll never really understand it, but you know you've heard things other teachers say, and it, it just sounds right. They must know what they're doing. They must know what they're talking about because they've been teaching longer than you. So you figure it'll make sense to just repeat what they say. Okay, you're going for it, but there's still that knot in your stomach telling you that you're not really owning the information. Now, if you're not a teacher, the specifics of this, what I just said, won't be relatable. So instead, I want you to think of a time in your life you heard something and it seemed to make sense, but you didn't do the research yourself. You found yourself repeating the information later on. I mean, maybe it was something you saw on social media. And again, you had that same feeling in your belly that told you, I'm just repeating this. I, I really don't know it. Now, keeping your eyes closed if you can, I want you to take a few deep breaths. Feel your contact with the floor through your feet and your seat. Imagine a different time after you'd done some studying on anatomy and you really started to get it. Not everything, but some key things. Then you go into class and you start to share these things. You start to share them from knowing the information. How would you feel then? How would you share the information? How would your voice sound? How would you feel in your gut? What words would you be saying? Okay, open your eyes. So what's the point of my taking you through this exercise? Well, it's to show you that there's a direct connection between knowledge and confidence. The more you really know and know from your own time spent learning the subject versus the stuff you just heard, <laughs> the more confidence you'll have when speaking about it. The less you know from your own time spent in the trenches doing the work, reading, practicing, you know, maybe in the context of training to be a yoga teacher, taking online courses, going to live workshops, the more you'll just be depending on what you've been told. And you'll always have that little voice in your head saying, you really don't know this. You're just parroting what you've heard. And that will translate to a lack of confidence. This lack of confidence will show up in funny ways. Maybe your voice goes up a notch when you teach. Maybe you laugh nervously every once in a while at something you say. You'll say things while teaching that are said all the time. Things like, do it on both sides the same way. Even yourself out. Square your hips in this warrior one. 
or maybe something like set your feet hips width distance apart, which is the same as bringing your two fists together at the ground. Now, before you get all worked up that some of these things might be correct to say, you're right. But some just don't make sense. And sometimes it's helpful to say things in your own way, in your own voice, in your own words. Repeating what other people say all the time is another form of being nervous and showing that lack of confidence and really owning the information. You fall back on what you heard rather than being present present, <laughs> and just saying it in your own way, right? And so we all kind of have that experience where, and I'm speaking here specifically to teaching, where we just kind of fall back on just kind of that rote kind of saying things over and over and over again. And there are definitely some days where you'll come into the studio where your energy level is low. Maybe it takes you a few minutes to kind of get your legs underneath you. And you'll fall back on that kind of sense of, I can just kind of say, and the class will start moving. Although there's nothing more powerful than really being present and just talking, just saying it in your own words. So another way that lack of confidence shows up when teaching is it shows up in the way we look in our body language. So something maybe along the lines of, are we afraid to look at our students? Um, Do we spend a lot of time fiddling with the music or the heat kind kind of going back and forth between the front of the room to the back of the room, that kind of thing? Do we stand right in front of the room and just stand there, right? Just be, just stand there without saying anything. I mean, I can share from my own experience. (laughs) After all these years of teaching, it still kind of terrifies me to stand in front of the class and just have people looking at me. Even though I know in my experience of taking classes, it's never really like I'm looking directly at the teacher and kind of engaging with the teacher in my look, right? Kind of that nonverbal communication. It's really just that as a student, you're in class and the teacher's there and you just kind of see the teacher, but it's not like you're kind of locking eyes with them. But still, as a teacher, it can be scary to stand there, just kind of unmasked in front of your class. So I I tend to kind of move around a lot when I teach, but I always am challenging myself to just stand still in front of the class and see how, and just kind of sit with those feelings of uncomfortableness, right? So this exercise is meant to encourage you to start to be honest with yourself about the cues you give in class that have to do with anatomy. Do you feel you have a good handle on the subject? Do you maybe um, struggle to find the right words? Do you feel like you really learned anatomy in your 200-hour training and you can share it with your students in understandable ways? Or do you find yourself kind of grabbing at the latest thing you heard in another class from someone else and just kind of repeating it? So let me also say this. The reality is the way yoga the yoga industry trains teachers is that one teacher shares information with their students, right? It's kind of passed on from person to person. And there is, of course, an assumption um, that the lead teacher knows the information and therefore the student teacher is correct in repeating what they were taught. 
The reality, though, is that there is so much variation in the industry around the level of knowledge of anatomy and how it's presented and how it's presented in training to student teachers. And so that leads to a high degree of variability in the quality of knowledge presented, the quality of knowledge learned, and the quality and the depth of knowledge retained. There's just a lot of variability there. So what's a teacher to do? You know, you may be hearing this and thinking, God, I, f- I feel like I was doing the right thing. I went to teacher training. I, I applied myself. I absorbed the information. You know, and this, this conversation is not meant. I'm not um, trying to imply that you did something wrong, right? That's not the implication here. What I am suggesting is if you'd really like to expand and own your knowledge, you're really just going to have to take it on yourself. I mean, that's really the reality. Now, it will most likely be post your 200-hour training, but that's okay, right? That's all right. It doesn't mean you have to learn everything in two weeks. You can do it through a variety of ways. You can train with teachers who specialize in anatomy. You can read quality books about anatomy. I can certainly give you some suggestions there. You can take online courses. Again, I can help you there. I've got a number of online courses. You can expand your certification in other areas. You know, for instance, even though I have a background in anatomy from my undergraduate education as part of both the physical therapy program and the rehab counseling program at Boston University here in Boston where I live, a few years ago I studied for and passed the NASM, the National Association of Sports Medicine, Certified Personal Trainer exam. Now, I didn't do this because I wanted to work as a personal trainer specifically. I did it because their process, that industry's process of training people, involves a much more intense focus on biomechanics and anatomy. And it's tested, your knowledge is tested through the administration of a certified test, one that's taken in a testing center with strict guidelines around the administration of the test. And so this is what I mean about if you really want to own anatomy knowledge, you'll most likely have to take it on yourself. But if you're really interested in making a bigger impact on your students, this is not a problem. This is something that you do out of your commitment to providing the best service possible. And also because you believe that this knowledge about anatomy will up your impact when you teach. And I can definitely tell you, you know, over the years as I've kind of let other areas of of focus kind of fall a little bit to the side when I teach and really upped my focus on anatomy, just the number of interesting uh, questions from students both before and after class, but mostly after class has increased. It shows me that People are really, you know, listening to the cues. They're thinking about how they apply to their body. They're thinking about the impact of doing a pose on a particular, you know, maybe area of concern in their body, like back pain or something like that. And so these kinds of things, when you start to shift your teaching and you start to get, you know, not necessarily feedback like, oh, that was a good class or, oh, I didn't like the class, but just questions from people just to show that you're sparking a level of inquiry in their mind while they're practicing. That's not only keeping them present, right? Because that shows that they're paying attention, they're involved, they're engaged in, in the class. But it also shows that they're thinking of ways that they can kind of personalize what they're hearing to their own body. And that is really, really wonderful to hear and to see and to be a part of. 
So now that we've gone through that little exercise, I want to share a story with you about the impact of giving students fundamental anatomy information. It's a little bit different than the story I just shared about the feedback after class. So, you know, I'm talking here about fundamental anatomy information, not complicated things like types of muscle contractions or how muscles act in synergistic ways, you know, with each other. Um, just more about how creating foundation can literally bring you back to the present moment so you can help yourself and better yet, help other people. So I have a private student. I've been seeing her for many years. She is a physician. She's a pediatric cardiac surgeon. So, you know, kind of a really intense job. And I've seen her for years, both privately and in class. And she's always had really astute observations about her practice and its impact on her life. And in the beginning months of our working together, she came to a session and shared with me how amazing it was for her while she was recently in the operating room getting ready to perform surgery to really feel what it feels like to be grounded. And this was something, you know, she said to me that came from the cues around foundation that I had been sharing with her when I was teaching her yoga. And she said in that moment, before starting this difficult surgery, right, so on a child, no less, she's a pediatric surgeon, she felt her feet firmly planted underneath her. She took a deep breath and she felt calm and steady as she began the operation. And I mean, in hearing her, I was stunned. I mean, not really, but I kind of was stunned. <laughs> I knew from my own experience that foundation was critical to my sense of being present. I use it all the time when I was teaching. And in those moments when I felt myself getting nervous or all kind of up in my head, I, I kind of went back to that physical sensation of grounding into my legs. But I was like, her, a, a pediatric cardiac surgeon, it was just blowing my mind. I was, I was stunned. I was thrilled. I was happy and grateful all at the same time that I could be part of that realization for her. So, you know, that's an example where I hope you can see that sharing anatomical concepts with your students is about so much more than practice. It's about giving them tools to help them in their life. It's about those movements you teach in class and how you share, you know, ways that they can positively impact their posture. And maybe you show them um, a particular pose and you say, you know, this is something you could even do at your desk if you've been working on a project and you've been sitting there for a few hours. It's about, you know, could be about cues you give around hip flexors and how one position is hip extension and another uh, part of the body while the one hip is in extension is in flexion. So you're kind of teaching them some anatomical terms. And Maybe in that conversation, you suggest that they think about how many times they are in hip flexion throughout their day. Is that something that they do all the time? Which, of course, in most people generally is because we're sitting a lot. It's about how, you know, maybe you share the importance of having both strength and length in muscles and why that's important versus doing all sorts of poses that emphasize going to the end range of the muscle. So, you know, all these things, these are things that are anatomically based and they help students take care of their body for the long term. This kind of information, it, you know, it's like, it's like giving people an owner's manual about their body from a functional movement standpoint and, you know, kind of helping them as they make their way through it. 
I mean, sure, there are lots of other systems in the body. There's the cardiovascular system and the nervous system, et cetera. But if we can help them with the musculoskeletal system and how to take care of that, that will help them prevent so many issues. I mean, just think of how much money is spent on taking care of back pain alone in the United States. I mean, how many days off of work people have due to joint issues or muscle pain. You know, sharing this kind of knowledge in class and really knowing it can impact your student's life in all sorts of positive ways. Now, I realize talking about anatomy, I mean, maybe it isn't as cool as doing like cool poses like handstands or headstands or whatever it is, um, maybe going into the latest and greatest arm bind or balance, you know, things you see on social media. You know, although I, I think, you know, I would rather be a teacher who gives people tools for life. I'm not really interested in doing kind of the latest and greatest pose or doing a pose just for the heck of it. I would much rather, you know, focus on fundamental postures and along the way give people anatomical cues that will help them both on and off the mat. I once had a teacher, you know, kind of along those lines tell me that, they don't like to focus on anatomy. And I was kind of surprised. I mean, of course, yoga is an eight-limbed practice, and there are many things we can emphasize, and we should never separate, you know, in our kind of uh, sharing of, of yoga, that understanding that there's many different facets, both spiritual and physical, to the practice. But it is a movement-based practice, and as such, I don't know how you can avoid talking about anatomy in one way or another. I mean, of course, there are anatomy-based cues and there are other kinds of cues, and we're going to go over those in future podcasts. But I dare to say that if you're not sharing anatomy-based cues with your students, they're missing out on a ton of valuable information you could be giving them. So I want to kind of get into here the five concepts. So the five concepts are, right, because I started out by saying the title of this, this podcast, or uh, title of this particular episode is five key anatomy concepts to build your confidence, right, to build your confidence in sharing anatomy with your students. So the five concepts are wider is steadier, narrower is not. The second one is create foundation before you create rotation. The third one is don't be a blockhead, use a block. <laughs> the fourth one is create stability at the floor to allow for better length in tight muscles. And the last one is support the head in forward folds at the floor. Right, so you'll notice in none of those things did I talk about a muscle name or an anatomical movement. So these are fundamental, right? Really kind of basic yet impactful things that are grounded in anatomy that you can share. So let's go through the first one. So the first one is wider is steadier, narrower is not. So I want you to think about here for this one, I want you to think about a pose like warrior one. So I, I am kind of making an assumption that you know what that pose is. So in this posture, the traditional way to teach it is to have the feet in a line as if you're standing on a balance beam. So in that case, the position of the feet is more narrow than the width of the pelvis. So it kind of takes on a little bit of a balancing flavor because even though both feet are flat to the floor, the narrow base requires that the student have a pretty good sense of balance. 
So this might work for the practice student, but with newer students, you know, maybe they're older or just newer to yoga, it definitely will not work. I mean, I can remember I taught a class one time to uh, some inner city teens in Boston. And despite all the yoga studios in Boston, there was nothing, you know, right in their community. So when they came to the Boys and Girls Club uh, for a class, it was their first time doing yoga. And they had an amazing attitude. They came and just street clothes like jeans and whatever and they cracked up the whole time not kind of mocking each other but just just having such a good time and supporting each other and just I remember one point she was like oh my god look at what you're doing you know like they just really had just just a kind of an eye-opening kind of as just zest for the whole thing and for this group you know they were definitely new they had never done yoga before and I wanted them to get a good sense of foundation I didn't want them to feel unsteady I didn't want them to be fumbling around and so you know in that situation I as I was teaching warrior one and I actually just taught all the standing poses at once I didn't have them going up and down and up and down we just did all the things on the feet first Um, I taught it with a wider stance And it gave them a chance to really experience the pose, to look around, to feel the effect of being grounded, and to notice how that made them feel. So, you know, it's a longer story, but I think you get the idea. Using a wider stance from an anatomical standpoint starts to allow your students to stack their joints. Their hips, knees, and ankles are all in a line. You know, that word alignment, right? A-line, alignment. And therefore, you know, they're just going to have an easier time getting steady in the pose. Now, also remember, warrior one is a pose of hip extension in the back leg. So as the front leg is bent, the back leg is long, that hip is in extension. So that means that muscles like the hip flexors um, or, or hip flexor muscles, so we're talking the psoas, the rectus femoris that's part of the quadriceps complex, they're being asked to lengthen in that back leg. And if these muscles are tight, students are going to have a tougher time in the pose. And so the wider stance is going to help them too. It's going to help ground them. You know, they can shorten up the stance as well. And if they angle that back foot a little bit inward, they're going to be able to get the hips a little more centered. So let's look at the second one. Second one is create foundation before you create rotation. I also love when I can make things rhyme. (laughs) So imagine for a moment you're sitting on a chair and you want to turn your upper body to the side to get something, but the chair is too high, so when you turn to the right, your feet aren't even on the ground, so you end up just kind of falling over. This is what happens when you try to turn one part of your body when the other part is not grounded. So think of it in golf. Right? If you've ever watched or played golf, how the golfer grounds down into the legs before taking the backswing. It's the same idea. So in any power po- in any yoga pose where you're creating a twisting motion, let's say in the upper body, the torso, grounding the lower body is crucial to taking the twist. Without the grounding through the foundation, the rotation becomes not only much harder, it also may force the student to leverage other parts of the body to create the rotation versus using what's at the ground to do it. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're in crescent lunge, right? So this is standing lunge, runner's lunge, and you want to add the twist. 
So you're in the standing lunge, you bring your hands together at your chest, and then you start to lean forward and turn to the right. You're leaning over your front bent, bent knee, and you extend your lower arm to the ground, creating a twist now to the right. But your lower arm is on the outside of your shin, and it's not touching the ground. It's just kind of hanging out there in space. You're not using a block. There's just no contact between that left arm and the floor. And you're still trying to twist like crazy from your torso. Meanwhile, without the grounding at the floor, you're kind of wobbling side to side. The only contact you can really get is the lower shoulder against your bent knee, right? So the left shoulder against the right knee. So you decide that you're going to press into that really hard to get grounded. So in this example, where is the grounding for the twist coming from? Well, it's coming from your shoulder, not from the floor. Now, I don't know. I mean, think about that. Do you think your shoulder in that particular position is a good place to create foundation? Well, you know, my suggestion would be no. The The force of the um, pressure of the shoulder to the knee while the rotation is happening can start to you know, kind of push the upper arm bone, the head of the humerus into that soft tissue. That's all the muscles that surround the joint. Now, if you do this once in your life, hmm, if you do it every time you practice, maybe then it's going to have an impact. Plus, when we're just talking about this overall idea of feeling grounded as a as an expression of kind of your overall uh, comfort in the pose, it stands to reason that greater greater foundation can be found by your contact with the ground versus one limb to another. So, you know, this is just one example. I hope you can, you know, maybe start to see how important it is to be grounded when you take a twist. Now, I do want to add there's there's one kind of qualify here, qualifier here. You must know what part of the body to ground into. Now, if you root down into the wrong part, one that's meant to move, you'll create more problems than if you just let your body kind of wriggle around and kind of not resist the, the unsteady foundation. So the common example for this that comes to mind is um, the lower back, specifically the sacroiliac joint. So this is the connection between um, the two sides of your pelvis and your sacrum, which is that flat bone at the base of your spine before your tailbone. And it's a joint, right? It doesn't maybe kind of sort of feel like a joint because it doesn't look like the elbow or the shoulder or the hip or the knee. Um, it looks different. It's a diarthrodial joint, one that has a uh, fibrocartilage that connects the bony surfaces um, that are that are joining. Now, because a joint is a place of movement where bones connect, if you use this place of movement as the place to create foundation and then try to move another part of the body, this can create some stress at this joint area. So let's think about a pose like twisting triangle. So in twisting triangle, you're turning your upper body, and one idea would be to root your legs, right? You're going to turn your upper body. So again, kind of like that golf analogy, you're rooting your legs to turn the upper body. So that's one idea. Now, another thing, though, that students try to do is to root their pelvis. And you'll see it because they'll put their hand on their lower back as they start to take the twist. Now, imagine that you have this SI joint that's built for movement. And you have your legs, which are obviously 
built for foundation because we walk on them. Which do you think is the better choice of body part to create foundation before you turn, before you rotate? Well, the legs, right? So you can start to see how creating foundation before you rotate becomes an essential way to teach your students how to move into twists safely and with greater effect on their body. Okay, so let's go to the third one. Don't be a blockhead, use a block. Now, I grew up with Peanuts and Charlie Brown and Lucy, and she was called Charlie Brown a blockhead, so that's where that comes from. So don't be a blockhead, use a block. Now, I'll just give you a little story here. I will never forget the time I went to give a student a block, and the person <laughs> literally batted it, just batted it away. I mean, it was so aggressive, I actually felt sorry for the block, but... Really, in all seriousness, I think blocks get a bad rap. People tend to associate blocks with beginners. And I mean, look, the reality is nothing could be further from the truth. Another thought that I have, though, is that people don't often have an idea of what to do with blocks or how to use them. And so it's really kind of, in my view, the more common sense out there. Um you know, people are often unsure kind of how to position them, especially if they have more than one at a time, how to stack them all in an effort to create better foundation in a pose. Blocks can truly expand your practice by helping you experience the poses more fully and can help you be in a yoga pose with greater foundation and ease. I mean, who wants to be in a yoga pose and feel like they're going to fall over? I would say no one. <laughs> so blocks are great for that, the, this idea of creating foundation. In biomechanical terms, blocks also give us leverage. They help us lengthen the lever, right? Make it further away from the floor, make it longer. You put your hand on a block. Now your arm has got that extra length. And in many cases, our arms um, or arm in a pose is the lever, right? It's, it's creating that power when we apply force down that axis, you know, down into the floor. So we've got this idea of the block creating stability and we've mixed in some anatomical biomechanical terms, right? So we're kind of blending both. So let's go further. So this next one is create stability at the floor to allow for better length in tight muscles. So imagine for a moment um, you're sitting at your desk and you're hunched over your computer typing away. Now, better yet, just take a look at anybody when you're walking down the street, their head hanging over their shoulders as they look down at their phone, their shoulders turned in. You know, this position of the shoulders here is what we call internal rotation, right? That's the anatomical term, term for it. So imagine this posture done day after day after day and all that internal rotation at the shoulder joint is happening. You can kind of imagine, even if you didn't know the muscles that were responsible for internal rotation, that if they're constantly contracting because the person's postural habit is to be hunched over all the time, they're probably going to be pretty tight. And you'd be correct. So you're doing the same thing over and over and over again uh, with very little movement in the opposite direction. So then when you think about the muscles that are internal rotate uh, internal rotators and you try to hone in on what muscles are getting shortened, you find out that one of the muscles of the rotator cuff, which is called the subscapularis, is actually an internal rotator, as is the pectoralis major and pectoralis minor. Those are probably muscles you're more familiar with. So then you go to yoga class and you try to do a pose like side angle lunge and the teacher offers you a chance to, you know, take the upper arm behind the back and take the half bind. And maybe if you want, take the full bind. Now, the teacher sounds like 
they know what they're talking about. So you oblige. And when you take your top arm behind your back, you find that you can only get so far and you feel kind of blocked in your shoulder, but you're not really sure kind of what to do, how to work with it. So you just allow your upper body to roll down. And so now you're looking at the floor and your upper shoulder is now rolling in back to its kind of quote unquote normal position of internally rotating. I mean, this happens all the time. So many people have tight internal rotators of the shoulder, and when they try to take that top arm in the bind behind their back, those muscles are just too shortened, so they end up falling forward. You know, the reality is the body is going to go where it's most used to going, and you need to give it something else or it's just going to go back to the new normal you've created through post- you know, your posture, whatever activities of daily living you're doing, habits that you have that kind of create certain muscular imbalances. So in this example, if the student simply takes a block and presses down into that block with the left arm on the outside of the bent knee, and you know, let's say on the left side, that will lift them up from the floor. So then when they take their right arm behind their back, they're going to have more space in that lower shoulder and more space in that upper shoulder so they can get greater range of motion. So they're further away from the floor. So we're using the block to create height away from the ground. You know, and in this kind of illustration here, the scenario I'm explaining, the height can help us compensate for muscles that are really shortened that are forcing us to hunch towards the ground. So let's go to this last one here. I think this is last one. Support your head in forward folds at the floor. So let's take this block usage idea and this idea of postural issues to a pose like pigeon. So remember when before I said, you know, look around and notice how many people are hunched over their phones. I mean, honestly, if you're a yoga teacher, take one day and look around and start counting. I bet by the middle of the day, you'll be up to 10 people. You know, it's a habit that we have culturally and one that will most likely have an impact for many people if they don't do things to counteract all that head hanging. And then they come to yoga class and it's not like they start doing all sorts of different things posturally. I mean, they're going to do the same things. You know, it's like I said before, the body's going to go where it's most comfortable unless you, the teacher, suggest something else and can think ahead for those anatomical challenges that most often come from the unhealthy postural habits people have. So in the case of pigeon pose, right, this is the more restorative pose, most often done at the end of class, because it's taught facing the floor, it's a perfect example of a pose where the head's going to hang down. Now, again, it's what people are used to doing. Their head is heavy. They're facing the floor. What else are they supposed to do? Especially if they're unable to get lower in the pose to rest their head on the floor, it's just going to hang there. So I think you know now where I'm going. Support the head with a block. Now, the whole pose, once you put the block there, it takes on a whole different tone physically and spiritually, right? You're no longer just hanging over the floor. Now the student can rest comfortably. Maybe in this new position, they have a chance to listen more closely to their body and to the signals their body is sending. Maybe they can hear your cues more clearly. Maybe they start to experience the actions of the pose. Maybe a bell goes off in their head when they hear your suggestion of a block under the head and, and they use it as if to, and they just start to feel like, oh my God, I just feel so much better. So this is what you're trying to do. 
with your knowledge of anatomy and your ability to share anatomically based cues with your students. You're trying to wake them up from the habits that have become routine to the actions and movements that used to be their normal, but have been replaced with all these unhealthy habits that people develop. So the power of cueing it, telling them the why behind the cue as much as you can, and then leaving them to feel it is essential. So in this case, when you suggest a block in pigeon, tell them why, right? Tell them it's to support their neck since we all hunch so much all day over the phones. I mean, why wouldn't you want to bring in common experiences to class instead of only talking about all this other yoga specific stuff that you could be sharing? Not to say you don't want to share yoga specific terminology and, you know, maybe pepper in a little bit of yoga theory and, and different just different things that are fundamental to the other limbs of the practice. But again, it's so helpful to kind of make it real for people. That's how you start to help them live their yoga off the mat on a physical level. So, you know, what I'm saying is I'm, I'm talking about using class time to give people relatable, common use terms and scenarios that the poses will help counteract if done correctly. I mean, this is, again, this whole idea of creating, uh, of translating yoga into life tips. Even though it's focused on anatomy and it's not specifically spiritual or kind of self-growth self growth focused, it's taking on a huge part of their overall health, which is their physical body. So we've gone through each of these five anatomical concepts. Let me just review them again just to kind of pull it all together. So the first one is wider is steadier narrower is not. The second one is create foundation before you create rotation. The third one is don't be a blockhead, use a block. The fourth one is create stability at the floor to allow for better length in tight muscles. And the last one is support the head in forward folds at the floor. Now I want you to really appreciate how basic and fundamental these are. I mean, sure, I gave you examples where I got into more detail, like I threw in some muscle names, anatomical movements, um, actions. Um, we talked about the SI joint. But for the most part, the concepts were easy to understand and were essential. At least I hope you could see how essential they are to any practice to create greater stability, foundation, and action in a pose. I mean, remember, we're not practicing yoga just for today in the body we have now. We and our students are often practicing yoga for the long term. That means that how we approach it will make a big difference in its impact, positive or negative, on the body. If we rush, if we have no understanding of anatomy, if we push ourselves in every pose to the end range of every muscle, we'll end up possibly with injury, pain, and might even require formal treatment for anything from a tendonitis to a muscle tear. On the other hand, if we learn anatomy, if as a teacher we share correct information with our students, if we stay more in this middle lane instead of the end range, we're going to create a practice that will keep us healthy for life. So we've reached the end of our podcast journey today. And as always, I want to just say a couple of closing things before we wrap up. So the first thing is comments. I want to hear from you. Go to the podcast page on my website, barebonesyoga.com. 
go to my Instagram page, Bare Bones Yoga, go to my Facebook page, Bare Bones Yoga, and leave me a comment. I want to hear what you think about this information, about this content, any of the episodes, this episode. So please take a moment and do that. Let's get some, get some conversation going. Now, let's say that my earlier conversation that I, I had with you about the importance of really learning anatomy, let's say that hit home for you. If you feel that there's a gap there, a gap there for you, and you'd like to fill in that gap with more anatomy knowledge so you can grow your confidence as a teacher, I want you to go to my website and check out my online courses. My flagship course, the one that I've continued to pour, you know, kind of my heart and soul and content into is called Your Yoga Anatomy Blueprint. And this course is going to walk you through several modules of critical information in video and text format to help you learn key aspects of anatomy. Now, because you're uh, um, listening to my podcast, I want to give you a $50 discount off the course to encourage you to get it. I am also adding content to the course. This is a dynamic living, breathing thing. So know that every time I add content to the course, if you have it, you get that additional information for free, even though the total course price for new customers goes up. When you buy any of my online courses, including this one, your Yoga Anatomy Blueprint, you get access to my private Facebook group. And that group is there I am the moderator, of course, and I will support you with any questions you post in that group. Plus, you'll get to see questions from other course students as well. I never want you to feel like, because it's an online course, you're going to buy it and just be kind of out there in cyberspace with no one to help you. This is just another way of learning. Online learning has become very popular, very commonplace. And even though you may be thinking, well, how can you learn yoga anatomy online? I promise you, you can do it. In fact, you can read the two reviews that are up on the, on the course page now. So to get the course, um, go to my website, barebonesyoga.com. And all I want you to do, just to keep it really simple, is just go to the podcast page and go to this episode, episode five. I'm going to link on this podcast page how you get the course with the $50 discount. I don't want to tell you all the details now and the discount code. You'll probably not remember. Maybe you're driving or running or walking around. And so all you need to remember is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, go to my podcast page. You'll see this episode, episode number five, and just click that. When you see the show notes, there's going to be the information you need to get the $50 discount code and to take a look at the course and buy the course. Let's say you're a little unsure. You're not really sure if you'd want to take advantage of this offer. Just take a look at the course, right? I've got a number of things that are part of the course that are free to check out so that you can take kind of a look at it and see what you think. Now, if you're in Boston, in or near Boston, I have two workshops coming up. On October 6th, I'm doing a workshop about building shoulder strength at Yoga Works in Cambridge, and I'm doing a fundamentals workshop on October 20th. And you can see those two registration pages on the events page of my website. So I want to thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Any comments, please um, send me an email or as I said earlier, just comment on any of the social media pages or the website. So thanks again. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening and namaste.